You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls. We are so pleased to have you with us on this particularly wonderful evening as we are joined together, where two are gathered, two or more are gathered in his name. <laughs> uh, he is with us. Look, listen, guys, uh, my name is Justin, co-host of Distilling Theology, as you well know, assuming uh, because you're here, uh, you probably know who we are. And I am joined by, of course, none other than my slender friender, Blake Courtright. How you doing, my Presbyterian pal? <laughs> that alliteration. We were, you know, we were speaking about authors. Um because Justin and his father co-author a series of children's books uh, and have been writing them for many years. And I just came to the epic conclusion of a 14-book series, um, something like 4 million words. And because I was listening on audiobook, it's something like 18 and a half days of content over the span of however many months I listened to it. Uh, and I'm in that weird spot where you finish something really epic like that and you're like, I, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> So, um, so that's <laughs> yep. an interesting emotion, but you know, yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, man. It's been a week. Uh, hasn't been that long since we recorded, but it'll be a minute for the people listening, uh, between the episodes. So there's, there's this is that. true. This is a fact. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to sip some Applejack. Oh man. Dude. I think this is our first time on the podcast. Clo- at least. Yeah. I mean, at least in a very long time. Yeah, the only other thing we had, um, I had this open and then I totally closed it. Oh no. Um, this was back in May of last year. We tried uh, Minorval Prestige Calvados. That was episode 69. Yep. Um, it was good. Yeah. It was a good one. Well, this is Cornelius Applejack. This particular one is four years, nine months aged. Um. In ex-bourbon oak casks, actually, uh, at 60% ABV, uh, at the Harvest Spirits Distillery in Valatie, New York, at Golden Harvest Farm. It's, oh, Valatia. Uh, yeah, Valatia. I don't know how to... Uh, I've never been there, so... Listen. So, is that close to you? It is. It's about 45 minutes south of me, if I'm remembering correctly. I got to go to um, Golden Harvest Farm with my family a couple of years ago, and while we were there, we visited the distillery. So, they have... Uh, nice. apple orchards and the works and they grow the apples there that are then fermented um, and then that fermented mash from the apples is distilled into a form of apple brandy known as applejack um, and that's the the calvados is apple brandy that comes from a particular region in france which is what calvados is um, but calvados are, or apple brandy and applejack are very closely related i believe there's a few other minor distinctions but they're very very similar um, kind of like you and I, Blake. Wow, that's, minor that's distinctions. Good. That's good. I like that. Uh, 
as you said, this one's aged four years and nine months. Um, on their website, they speak about aged usually five five years. So this is just shy of that. Um, but again, this bottling was from several years ago, so they may have changed some of that. But they're still doing 100% sure. homegrown apples. Uh, and apparently, they distill the fermented cider twice in small batches um, before nice. it gets bottled. When they put it in the casks, it's at 60% alcohol by volume. And then it's bottled at 40%. Correct. Um, gotcha. So that's a pretty cool thing once it's after it's been distilled. And if I remember correctly, when I was there, um, they were getting their ex-bourbon casks from a pretty well-known distillery. And they had a, a lengthy contract with that distillery before the value of like ex-bourbon casks was really popular. Uh, I also mm. like that there's no chill filtration or uh, sorry, no charcoal filtration, no sugar, no additives. And Well, well 100% homegrown apples is going to have plenty of sugar. Listen, Justin, no added sugar. Okay. <laughs> technicalities <laughs> technically correct uh, my favorite kind of correct to quote our it guy at my work um it's also naturally I, I gluten free yeah which is uh which is uh, something that's genuinely useful now because the distillation process there's some debate about whether or not the gluten molecule can even make it through that process um into whiskeys but some people who have genuine gluten allergies or or illnesses associated with gluten yeah, of course can have issues with with spirits distilled from that. And I remember we had this conversation with um, Todd and Carl when we were talking about brandy because brandy is a fruit distillate. So um, I'm a big fan of these as alternatives, whether you're talking about a regular brandy, an apple brandy, um, you know, your tr regular brandy being your traditional grape brandy. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited to get into it. And now I really want to go back to Harvest Spirits Distillery and taste some more things. But uh, what are you noticing on the nose, Justin? Yeah, I'm sitting here sniffing it because it smells pretty good. Um, I mean, as you as you would imagine, it's very apple-y. It's very citrus what? forward. <laughs> um, Stop it. No, but in reality, it, it's very uh, subtle and very um, comforting. It's got a very. It's not like over overwhelmingly sweet or sugary smelling. Yeah. Um, it's definitely got that typical sort of orchard fruit kind of feel. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's not like super complex, or anything like that. It's very straightforward, very simple. Yeah, there is a little bit of that from from the oaky vanilla note. I'm definitely getting that coming through with the apples, like apples and yeah. vanilla pudding kind of situation going on. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. a little tinge along with that of like a, a cinnamony baking spice, which all together makes for a very pleasant aroma, right? Like, yeah, vanilla pudding or vanilla cream with cinnamon apples is. Yeah, a pretty nice combination. It, it, it's kind of like when you catch just a waft of an apple pie, yeah. but from a distance. You're not like right up on it, but you know, <laughs> you're social distanced from it. Bro, no. <laughs> oh man. Well, on that note, we should uh, we should taste this before we get into too much more trouble. If you want to cheers us, and we'll uh, jump right in. Let's go. It's good. <laughs> it's refreshing. I mean, it is. It's 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 not in any way, shape, or form harsh. I mean, it's like juice. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really good. Um, yeah, it doesn't tastes, even have the bite of like just a, like it smells. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like a a very sweet sort of uh, apple forward um, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is it's it's hard to it's hard to get really detailed with your notes on something that's so simple and straightforward. You know what I mean? I mean, there's definitely apple and vanilla and kind of a clean spice, but I mean that's that's really it. There's not a whole lot of complexity, it, which is sometimes a good thing. Um, I could say it's distilled simplicity. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Can't stop, won't stop. Oh no! I was just reading that there, um, for each bottle, over sixty pounds of fresh Hudson Valley apples are pressed, fermented, and and then in the bourbon barrel. Wait, That's sixty pounds per bottle. Bottle. Per bottle. Holy smokes. That's crazy. 60 pounds of apples. Man, I got to up my, pounds uh, of fresh... <laughs> my apple picking game. <laughs> my wife will come yeah. home one day in the fall and ask, why is there a, like multiple gallon buckets in our small living room with <laughs> apples being fermented? Why does it smell this way in here? And then I have a little still <laughs> in the backyard that I don't have. Because I, I already oh have a little goodness. tiny one liter barrel, so I'm, I'm good for the last yeah. part. Well... Apparently, since colonial times, Applejack was made by freezing barrels of hard cider during the winter, then tapping them, removing the alcoholic center, which created a very harsh liquor, mm. right? But uh, apparently, they just, like you said, they distilled this three times, resulting uh, in a No, smooth. two, double distilled. This is saying that they distilled, I found some other notes. This play, they're saying that they do it actually three times. Whoa. Um, yeah. Wow. So... Two or three times, either way, yeah, is a lot. <laughs> yeah, man. And then aged um, in oak for for four years yeah. and up. And and we have another spirit from them that we'll taste later on, which was aged nearly ten years. Um, which kind of changed. Mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly, it's the same basic um, fermented mash that's going in, but then you're spending way more time in the barrel and picking up all those extra notes, which, as we've noted from both bourbons and scotches, uh, tends to lend a lot of interesting flavor. So, yeah. That Big fan of that. But uh, before we jump into the main substance of our podcast for this evening, uh, Justin, would you lead us in some prayer to transition us um, before we say something unintentionally heretical or silly, too <laughs> silly? Absolutely. Guys, if you have a Valley of Vision, please grab it, um, open it, and turn to page 26 if you would, if you would do that with us. You would be so kind. I'm going to break up the flashlight here because I can't see. It's too dark in my room. <laughs> Woo. All right, guys. Uh, page 26, Valley Vision, Praise and Thanksgiving, which is is fitting because this is like a, a fall um, drink, you know, around a Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> oh, my God. Thou fairest, greatest, first of all objects, My heart admires, adores, loves thee. For my little vessel is as full as it can be, and I would pour out all the fullness before thee in ceaseless flow. When I think upon and converse with thee, ten thousand delightful thoughts spring up. Ten thousand sources of pleasure are unsealed. Ten thousand refreshing joys spread over my heart, crowding into every moment of happiness. I bless thee for the soul thou hast created, adorning it, sanctifying it, through it is fixed in barren soil. For the body thou hast given me, for preserving its strength and vigor, for providing senses to enjoy delights, for the ease and freedom of my limbs, for hands, eyes, ears that do thy bidding, 
for thy royal bounty providing my daily support, for a full table, an overflowing cup, for appetite, taste, sweetness, for social joys of relatives and friends, for ability to serve others, for a heart that feels sorrows and necessities, for a mind to care for my fellow man, for opportunities of spreading happiness around, for loved ones in the joys of heaven, for my own expectation of seeing thee clearly. I love thee above the powers of language to express for what thou art to thy creatures. Increase my love, O God, through time and eternity. Amen. 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 What a what a way to be thankful. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, not just I and, and I love all those different aspects of our life and our existence that yeah. uh, the prayer goes through. Like that's yeah. how we ought to be approaching this. And unfortunately a lot of times we don't. And I definitely find myself guilty of that mm-hmm. many, many times. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's a humble reminder that uh, we can enjoy all these things. We can enjoy life. We can enjoy friends and family and be grateful for those things, yeah. assuming we are being grateful to God for those things. Right. Right. Well, so, it's also right, that difference between worshiping the creator or worshiping the creature rather than the creator, like pursuing right. um, our own earthly desires at the expense of pursuing God right, and seeking the things that we we deem important rather than worshiping the one who gives those good gifts. Right. Which is right. kind of similar yeah, to uh, what we read at the end of Romans one a month ago when we were looking oh. in there. Uh, <laughs> and so guys, we're back in the book of Romans. We're going to take a little pause on ecclesiology this week and jump back in. We're picking up in Romans two. Uh, and honestly, I have no idea if we're going to get to the end of this chapter because once again, it's rich and we don't necessarily want to rush it. We want to kind of enjoy savor the experience of digging into this epistle um and we've both been blessed to sit under recently sit under some very good preaching through this book in our respective churches so i'm yeah. grateful for that yeah um, yeah we we're, we're working through romans eight right now my man that's so good yeah it's amazing it's amazing so yeah um guys if you have a bible honestly we encourage you to grab it read along with us i presume you have a bible if you're a a Christian, I would pray to God if you have the freedom to listen to this podcast that you also have the freedom to own a Bible. Well, uh, if you don't, I will send you one. Reach out to me. I will buy you a Bible, and you will have God's Word because you desperately need it, like we all do. Uh, turn to Romans two, and we're just going to jump in. I guess we'll take Let's a we'll take a gander here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. I suppose I will. I suppose I'll, I'll open it up. Open yeah. it up here. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Pause. This right here, after following Romans 1, right, talking about um, everything that's going on in Romans 1, talking about uh, giving people over to a debased mind and all these things. He starts jumping in and, and talking about this particular passage is an indictment, really, on on the fact that no man has an excuse. No one has an excuse. Even if we didn't have God's law, we act like judges, we pass judgment on others, and then we don't do the very things 
that we're judging others for. So we have a law that we've created, we apply it to others, and then we don't obey it ourselves. So already we're hypocrites. We're already violating our own laws, which already violate God's law. So there is no consistency in our actions, and we are all guilty. We're guilty by violating our own laws that we pass on others, and we're guilty of violating God's law. So <laughs> there, there is no one righteous, right? No, not one. And that's just the first verse of the chapter here. <laughs> um, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, you hypocrites, <laughs> that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Right? How often do we, even as, even as Christians, but how often do the pagans ultimately just rely on God's grace, his common grace, expecting in some way, shape, or form a lack of judgment of some kind, that they're just going to carry on, tomorrow's going to be like yesterday, tomorrow's going to be like today, there's going to be no judgment for my, my sins. They presume. <laughs> but particularly for us, right, how often do we do that? As Christians, how often do we uh, lack repentance when we ought to be repenting? And praise God for his patience and his forbearance. Thank God for that. And yet, that kindness that he's showing us is supposed to lead us to repentance. So we ought to be repenting. Um, a very humble reminder. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment when God's righteous judgments will be revealed. So, yeah, be careful, y'all. <laughs> yeah. It's not a place you want to be in. No. And I love um, Calvin's commentary on this chapter here. And I have this pulled up in Lagos. Um, he says, this is specifically the first two verses. This reproof is directed against hypocrites who dazzle the eyes of men by displays of outward sanctity and even think themselves to be accepted before God as though they had given him full satisfaction. Hence, Paul, mm -hmm. after, after having stated the grosser vices, that he might prove that none are just before God, now attacks the saintlings of this kind, who could not have been included in the first catalog. Now, the inference is too simple and plain for anyone to wonder how the apostle derived his argument, for he makes them inexcusable, because they themselves know the judgment of God, and yet transgress the law. As he said, Though thou consent not to the vices of others, and seemest to be avowedly uh, even an enemy and a reprover of vices, yet as thou art not free from them, if thou really examinest thyself, thou canst not bring forward any defense. So these people, like, and how often are we guilty of that? Even if we're not, you know, going, as we talked about a month ago, like, the world around us, yeah, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God. Even if we don't fit into those categories in those really gross terms, mm -hmm. we're, we're brought under the same banner here of our depravity and our need yeah. for salvation and our utter inability to justify ourselves, right? Like that's and obviously we're pushing at this point of justification by faith alone and the the atonement of Christ. But 
Paul doesn't leave us room to wiggle out or to, or, or to excuse ourselves from the room, so to speak, and say, well, okay, this is really important for other people. But we do this implicitly, I think, very many times. Uh, and it's something we need to watch out for, like I myself need to watch out for many times. Um, and it can be very, very subtle, unfortunately. But right, we, we're passing judgment on others, but yet yeah, we're not holding ourselves well, accountable. And Matthew commentary, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on this uh, particular uh, chapter, he starts off by saying the Jews, right? Because Paul's talking uh, to the Jews, um, and he says the Jews thought themselves a holy people, entitled to their privilege by right, and while they were unthankful, rebellious, and unrighteous, but to all who act thus, for every nation, age, and description, must be reminded that the judgment of God will be according to their real character, not based on their right, uh, by not based on their privilege, right? <laughs> um, this case is so plain that we may appeal to the sinner's own thoughts. In every willful sin, there is contempt of the goodness of God. And though the branches of man's disobedience are very various, all spring from the same root. But in true repentance, there must be hatred of former sinfulness. And then he goes on. And I like what Martin Luther's commentary says here on Romans. He says this, uh, the letter, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is the purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were daily bread for the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Therefore, it reminds me of the Psalms, right? When, when, when King David says, your, your law is like honey to my lips, mm. right? It's sweet. It is sweet. It tastes good to the Christian. If we love Christ, God's law tastes sweet. Therefore, I want to carry out my service and with this preface, provide an introduction to the letter. And then he goes on and gives a whole introduction. But he talks about how important this letter is. And I think, uh, I forget who it was, maybe it was Schaefer who said that if you just had the first eight chapters of Romans, you'd have everything you need to know to be saved, period. Because Paul is so good with his words um, and this particular chapter is just, this this whole letter is truly absolutely necessary, which is, of course, why it's there. <laughs> yeah. So. Right, which verse did uh, we leave off If you want to continue with? on at verse 6. Awesome. That's where I thought we were. Verse 6 says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Mm. Now that's an interesting thing, right? Because we're coming into like one of the, one of the books that all the Calvinists and the Reformers love about salvation by faith alone or by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, right? And yet right here he's talking about equity according to works. Now, obviously we have the whole Bible and the whole, the rest of this book to contend with in that, but um, it's interesting that I think this is a passage I've seen. I don't see it pulled out as often as like the stuff in James, but I've seen people say, well, is Paul contradicting himself here? Cause look, he's God's giving you according to your works. Um, and that I think neglects, an understanding of like the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying the believer and the evidence or the fruit of the work of justification. 
Like yeah. if you if you're not justified, then you're not going to live justified. You're not going to live a sanctified life. And if you right. have been justified, then the fruit of that will bear out in your life and will bear out in these forms that Paul is talking about here, right? right. In in seeking glory and honor and and seeking to honor God. Right. And, and if we apply Toda Scriptura, right, we recognize that that who Paul is talking to in regards to their works. He's talking about what their works are, correct? However, who lays out those works that we should walk in them, right? Who, who, <laughs> those good works are, are given to the believer. They are given to the elect, right? Um, those are things that we can participate in. And it's not as though our justification is based on those works, but the works are certainly necessary result of our justification, um, right? We go back to Gerstner's whole thing, right? And so, it's it's tremendously important to to understand in the total context. He he's not saying that our works are what um, we're judged by, but we will have judgment for our works. Um, the elect will also give an account. We're still going to give an account for everything that we've thought, said, and done. Um, but so, so are the pagans, so yep. are the heathens, and so yeah, uh, we are gonna we are gonna get um, judgment according to our works. It's just uh, we, fortunately, as the elect, have Christ's works applied to us uh, in in order that we may be saved. So, um, and uh, if I can continue in, in Matthew Henry's here um, regarding that, right? He's talking about uh, in true repentance there must be hatred of former sinfulness from a change wrought in the state of mind which dispo- which disposes itself to the good and the refuse to do evil. Right, it shows a sense of inward wretchedness, and such is a great change wrought in repentance and in conversion, and is needed by every human being. So, um, those works are going to be a result of this particular change that takes place when we recognize that inward wretchedness. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm just reading ahead here. the The ruin of sinners, he says. Is they're walking after a hard and impotent heart, their sinful doings are expressed by the strong words treasuring up wrath, right? Uh, and in the description of the just man, notice the full demand of the law. Uh, it demands that the motives shall be pure and rejects all actions of earthly ambitions or ends. And in the description of the unrighteous contention is held forth the principle of all evil. The human will is in a state of enmity against God. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the law. So, uh, there is the correlation there uh, between the the unrighteous and their works, and then the righteous and our works. Um, the treasuring up of wrath versus uh, the 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 sense of inward wretched, wretchedness that uh, is uh, used to wrought change in the believer. Yeah, and then Calvin talking about verse eleven there specifically on uh, there's no God is not a respecter of persons. Calvin writes he has hitherto generally arraigned all mortals is guilty, but now he begins to bring home his accusation to the Jews and to the Gentiles separately. And at the same time, he teaches us that it is no objection that there is a difference between them, but that they are both without any distinction exposed to eternal death. The Gentiles pretend ignorance as their defense. The Jews gloried in the honor of having the law. The for- from the former, he takes away their, their subterfuge and he deprives the latter of their false and empty boasting. I love that. Like, <laughs> Calvin expositing Paul there, 
taking away the excuses of both sides. Like, oh, I'm innocent. I don't, I didn't know about the law. It's like, well, yeah, but, right. but you do have a law and you do have a conscience and you know God exists and I know God exists and you aren't worshiping him. You're worshiping the creature. Repent. And to the Jew, well, we have the oracles of God. Well, yeah, you were entrusted with that and you don't keep them. Repent. And like, <laughs> it comes after right? everybody. And that's the yeah. point. We're all falling under this condemnation. But where, where does he go there in verse 12, Justin? Yeah, he says, for all who, uh, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. For all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. And while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, on that day, when according to my gospel, it's God's gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And that's going back right to the beginning of the, the section here where it says, you're going to apply law to other people because why? Because God's law is written on your heart. There is no excuse, right? That goes all the way back to Romans 1. You know there's a God. You suppress that truth and unrighteousness in Romans 3 and 4. For we know God exists. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The law of God is written on our hearts. So even though they haven't been given the law in the way that the Jews have, they know that there's a law. They apply it to other people. They are convicted by conscience, right? You've never met anyone, no matter how depraved, that doesn't have some sense of what's right and what's wrong. Right. Uh, even the most wicked of serial killers and, uh, you know, Hitler, they all had some sense, internal sense of what's right and wrong. And although it's horribly destroyed in many ways by depravity, it's evidence that God's law is written on our hearts. Um, and <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to be according uh, on that day, be, um, be judged according to that gospel. Yeah. So. Well, then carrying on here in verse 17, Paul goes on to say, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And how painfully resonant is that last line there in verse 24? Because of the sins of self-proclaimed Christians who go and preach against homosexuality or preach against um, all these different sins and then are found out in extramarital affairs, child abuse, all these terrible things. And, and it's all over. We don't have to go far to find these examples. And Paul is saying here to the Jewish people, but I think it applies right to us in the church today. Because of you, God's name is blasphemed. Like Because we who are in this are not recognizing our own tendency to hypocrisy and repenting and seeking the truth and the goodness of the gospel and seeking Christ, but we're standing on these platitudes and looking down at other people 
and getting caught up with pride and falling into sin, now these other people are blaspheming the Lord because of us. So, uh, regards to chapter two here, uh, Luther says this, and I think it's really relevant, especially for um, what what was just read. St. Paul says, or adds, uh, that the Jews are all sinners and says that only the doers of the law are justified in the sight of God. What he is saying is that no one is a doer of the law by works. On contrary, he says to them, you teach that one should not commit adultery and you commit adultery. You judge another in a certain manner and condemn yourselves in that same manner because you do the very same thing that you judged in another. It is as if saying, outwardly you live quite properly in the work of the law and judge those who do not live the same way. You know how to teach everybody. You see the speck in another's eye, but you do not notice the beam in your own. Outwardly, you keep the law with works out of fear of punishment or love of gain. Likewise, you do everything without free desire or love of, and love of the law. You act out of aversion and force. You act, you rather, you'd rather act otherwise if the law didn't exist. It follows then that you, in the depths of your heart, are an enemy of the law. What you do mean, therefore, by teaching another not to steal when you, in the depths of your heart, are a thief and would outwardly be one too, if you dared. Of course, outwardly, work doesn't last long with such hypocrites. Send, <laughs> so then, you teach others, but not yourself. You don't la- uh, even know what you are teaching. You've never understood the law rightly. Furthermore, the law increases sin. As Paul says in chapter 5, that is, because a person becomes more and more an enemy of the law, the more it demands of him what he can't possibly do. Mm. So Luther just slays it right there. <laughs> Absolutely wrecks. Let's go uh, get some ointment for those yeah. burns. <laughs> yeah. Bro. It's so good. Destruction. So good. 100. <laughs> <laughs> do not collect. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to jail. <laughs> Dang, dude. Law? You break the law? Jail. <laughs> but, but for real, you look, you, you look at a woman with lust, straight to jail. <laughs> straight to jail. Oh, man. Uh, that's so good. I, I want to make a meme. Okay, so <laughs> uh, verse 25, uh, Paul continues, For circumcision indeed is of, is of value. If you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So in other words, <laughs> so in other words, um, it's totally meaningless if you break the law, and we all know that no one keeps the law. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you, who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, sidebar, that's not to say that the ordinances or the sacraments are not meaningful or or that we can just ignore them. That's a whole separate discussion. Um, And that's not what he's saying here. <laughs> no, he is pointing um, to that sweet, sweet covenant community or covenant right. continuity. 
But anyways. Uh... <laughs> no, no, he's talking about the new and better covenant, hey. which has done away with the... <laughs> I love it. No, but this, is, old... this is a pretty yeah. graphic section here, too. Like, that's a... Mm-hmm. Talk about a, a, a cutting ritual and saying, if you break it... One. Huh? A painful one. Yeah, and he's saying if you break it, it's basically just undoing that, which is crazy. Um, and then I love that that statement there, right? But he who is physically uncircumcised, right? Someone who is outside of the camp, who's who's outside of the visible covenant community, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law, right? For no one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Which, when we had Tony on a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. Yep. And we'll probably do a whole episode digging into that and, and adjacent topics. But this passage, I think, is, is relevant to that, right? That just because you are outwardly religious doesn't mean that inwardly you're actually part of God's elect. It's... I'll, in the patron overtime, I got some patron overtime oh, for man. you. <laughs> some sauce. Uh, yeah, this this section is heavy, man. Romans two uh, pulls no punches, as it were. No, but it's 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 really um, like like Luther was saying. It is a tremendously important book of the Bible. Yes, and this chapter is tremendously important in regards to uh, in regards to judgment in regards to the law and how the law and the gospel work together, right? We are going through, because, because right, every pastor who's faithfully preaching the word should be preaching law and gospel, right? And this is a, a great example of that. This is a great example of saying, look, the law ultimately is for your good, but it crushes you. It destroys you. It wrecks you. It shows you that you are utterly incapable of keeping it. And therefore... Therefore what? Well, therefore, we need the works of Christ applied to us because we can't be keepers of the law. We can't do and keep the law ourselves, And therefore, uh, it doesn't matter if you're born into the covenant community <laughs> by way of being a Jew in the old covenant. You still need a solution for, for the sin problem. There still needs to be a solution. Right. Um, and so the first eight chapters of Romans are just are just tremendous. Um, it starts off with our justification, right? Uh, and he explains why we need to be justified. And then I'm excited to get one to, to to go through because we just did this in my church. We've gone one through eight, one through eight. I think we're going to jump into Romans nine. Um, just just going through our justification, our sanctification, and then our glorification. And it's just it's kind of like like just this epic novel <laughs> but it's real right it's this epic novel oh, yeah. of our of, of the life full, of a full, sinner full who's circle. saved right who's saved by grace alone and it's it's just it's exciting i'm i love romans yeah dude that's so you know, good. typical that, calvinist thing to say but i love romans <laughs> that's it that's it you, you've outed us um yeah that it's funny <laughs> you say that like with me uh, just coming to the end of that series. Cause like, obviously on the one hand, from a fiction standpoint, like, yeah, that's a huge amount of time invested into fictional characters and a, and a story of good and evil and, and all these things. And yeah, it's really fascinating and it's interesting and it's fun to see someone create this thing, uh, out of their imagination. Um, but there's an interesting interview. It might've even been, 
on another much larger podcast platform with Jordan Peterson, where he talks about something something we all know in scripture of Cain and Abel. And he talks, and I'd never really thought about it quite like this, because I've read that story however many times in my lifetime, right? Going through the Bible, going through Genesis. But he says, look at, the, look at this, like how in however few words it is, and it's so few words, the wisdom of the Bible is so rich, right? And this is from a, a yeah. secular professor who's acknowledging this and is saying, whoa, there's something really distinct here in, in how rich this wisdom is that, and, and this, this word picture for Cain, that, that he complains to the Lord, he's jealous, and God says to him, sin is crouching at the door, waiting to devour you. And so it's like, we, I think we do ourselves a great disservice because like you said many times, we have so many Bibles, we have so many resources. Yeah. And yet we miss the epic drama of the text. And while I love Lord of the Rings, I really like Wheel of Time is now one of my favorite series in fantasy and it has things I dislike about it. There's, there's content issues that I have with it, but like really amazing fictional works that, that men have done or, or the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, but nothing comes close to, uh, to the true myth of Christianity to borrow from Tolkien in his conversation with his friend, C.S. Lewis, nothing yeah. comes close to this true myth. And, you know, I, we've talked about this before. Joseph Campbell's seminal work on comparative religion, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, he, he thinks there's a Freudian psychological reason why uh, myths and religions tend to come back to these same basic traits that he distilled into the, the, the so-called hero's journey. And he calls this the monomyth as, as a psychological response of humanity that, that crops up all over the world in different mm -hmm. forms and why we have a mm -hmm. similar kind of savior story Everywhere. everywhere. And I'm like, well, everywhere. no, uh, Tolkien's statement to Lewis is true. Lewis, the atheist at the time, says, well, Christianity is just a myth. And, and Tolkien just says, well, of course it is. But it's the true myth. It, it is, <laughs> it's the true story upon which every other myth and religion is built. And the, why do we want a savior to come in and take our place and die in the place of those of us to save us is because it's written from Genesis 3. It's there right. in the beginning. And yep. that ties right into what Paul's talking about here, right? Just as that is written in us, so is the conscience, so is the law. Whether you're talking about what God is saying in Genesis 3, or whether you're talking about the Noahic covenant and these very simple, basic principles, like why do we all generally understand, unless we are complete sociopaths and lack any empathy, that like <laughs> murder and rape are wrong? Why is it that right. pushed up against a wall, the staunch atheist uh, philosopher cries out? Right. And no matter what happens, even if they're sitting there and you say, and you push them, eventually, you know, I don't necessarily condone this as an application of precept, but eventually, if you push somebody, well, what standard are you using? Why right. is this right and this wrong? Why do you say that God is unfair? What standard are you using to make these judgments? And eventually, you get to the point where they say, well, it's kind of assumed, like it, it gets in there and there's an internal knowledge of the truth. Well, my my dad always says, and I, I know he's heard he heard it from somewhere else, uh, but there's no atheist in the foxhole. Oh yeah, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone for the most part uh, knows when the when their time has come. They're like, listen, if there is a God, all of a yeah. sudden they start praying. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're yeah. like, God, you know, God, Buddha, whoever. They just they they know that there's there's something missing. Yeah, and 
it's because it's written on our hearts, right? Uh, which is what is is, is said directly here, yeah. right? That it's written on our hearts and that it's inevitable. I am inevitable. <laughs> yeah, man. And and again, all this is written in we're we're two chapters into the book of Romans right now. And we've already dredged all of this richness. And uh again to that to those comments about literature, like, yeah, it's really great to see these epic struggles of good and evil and this and that. But how about you how about you go through the Bible and start in Genesis and start with the seed of the woman? versus the seed of the serpent and follow yep. that thread through the entirety of scripture, 66 yep. books, all these different authors, hundreds and thousands of years separating the beginning to the ending of the compilation of the canon, different voices, different languages, different contexts where they're writing from different continents. And yet the story cohesively tells us of the seed of the woman that's promised and like, yeah, why do we have all these genealogies? And why do we, well, this is why. It's right here. And it <laughs> follows all the way through. And you see Satan trying again and again. You know, Augustine, city of man, city of God. You see the city of man. You see the seed of the serpent trying again and again and again to crush the seed of the woman. And he fails. City of God. <laughs> My man, Augustine. But we see that, right? And, and if you if you read the Bible with that, it, it's a whole new experience because now when you see the sons of David um, or, or the descendants being killed or you see different people, you're wondering what's going to happen to the seed of the woman. Is right. the line going to be cut? Is it over? Right. And yet God in his providence brings that through. And then we come to Matthew and we see this genealogy of the king who is born in a manger. And I mean, it, Again, for for listening to a fourteen book series, almost twenty hours of audio, like as fun as that was, that pales in comparison. There's no contest between that and the epic true myth of the gospel, and we get a really condensed and rich version of that here in the book of Romans. And I'm excited to continue through it, um, you know, once a month or so as we as we carry on. Me too, man. Me too. It's so good. This is good. You know, eventually. Distilling theology is around long enough. We're going to get through the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah, man. We'll, we'll, we'll Welcome see. to episode 642 of Distilling Theology. Well, you know, if we if we stick around, we'll end up, yeah, like Reformed Forum. Although they have like multiple shows going on, uh, not just not just Christ the Center, but they've got Voss Group and all, all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, maybe when, we, uh, maybe when we maybe when we grow up, we'll have Distilling Theology unplugged or something. <laughs> you know, that, that'd be pretty wild. Maybe we'll have Distilling Theology... Uh, conferences and get-togethers, but who knows? Oh but boy. until then, Justin, until we have a, a physical get-together, where can people gather with us uh, and other like-minded believers to discuss theology and spirits? Guys, if you want to join our Facebook family, head over to Facebook, like our page, follow our group, join our group, uh, where we have where we have a plurality of admins. <laughs> uh no, uh, honestly, we have uh, we have a blast in there, and and uh, as as affirmed by our good friend Tony over on Reformed Brotherhood uh, on the latest episode, um, uh, they affirm it is indeed the most sage stage Reformed Facebook group that you can join to date. So please join us and enjoy fellowship, memes, distilled spirits, encouragement, and fun 
uh, honestly, it's it's a blast. Um, it's my favorite. It's the only reason I can have Facebook anymore. Yeah. It's just to go on there and hang out with you guys. Uh, it's it's really a blast. Um, also, check us out on Instagram at Distilling Theology. We have some great pics. Uh, we've been kind of slacking, but maybe we'll get back to it because, um, you know, there's just a lot of good stuff out there for us to share with you guys. Um, we have a Twitter. Sometimes it gets used, sometimes it doesn't. At Distilling Tea. Want to get on there? You know, maybe check out some of uh, some of the, the heretic mashing. It's great. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, guys, if you can't get enough podcast business from us, uh, Blake, where can these lovely individuals go in order to fill their ear holes on a regular basis with Distilling Theology? Head over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective. And the roll call has changed, so I'm not going to get through this smoothly, but I'm going to try. The Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Assurance of Pardon, Baptist Broadcast, Bobcast, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Fox Den, Grace and Peace Radio, Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, The Particular Baptist Podcast, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Restless, Small Town Theologian, and Steady Anchor. And you can get all these shows at reformedpodcasts.com. It is a mega feed. And if you subscribe, you'll get the back catalog of all those programs, which uh, if you thought 20 hours of audiobooks was a lot, just you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And and yeah, there's a a variety of shows. I would say um, you you have a few shows that are... uh, single host which i can't even imagine doing this show by myself week to week that no. that sounds crazy uh you have shows with more than two hosts you have a lot of two-man shows uh you have shows that are more academically geared some that are more pastorally geared like assurance of pardon um hosted by two pca pastors who are both speaking um with a particular pastoral lens and then you got us you know uh if you want all <laughs> the sound effects and the craziness so uh, and if Justin, if people want more of us and they want to hear the conversation we're about to have, if they want to know that little spice you dropped earlier when we were talking about circumcision and signs of the covenant, uh, where can people go for more of that kind of content? Yeah, guys, check us out on patreon.com slash distilling theology. You can join our, our actual adopted family. We will adopt you as family. If you join us over there, patreon.com four ninety nine a month, and you will get... All kinds of extra content, extended episodes, extended interviews, all kinds of video content. You get to see the faces of our guests and of us whenever you want. Uh, And you can head on over there and get it all raw, unedited, and totally ridiculous. Um, So please join us over there at $14.99 a month. You can get some special merch. You get a mug. After three months, you get some good stuff. And uh, for all of our patrons, you also get a discount on our Distilling Theology store. That's true. If you feel like getting mugs or shirts or hats or anything else. Or a warm blanket to handle the cold. Or a warm (laughs) blanket to wear in this cold weather as you sip your favorite distilled spirit and listen to your favorite distilled podcast. (laughs) And that's not just a metaphor for the warmth that you feel in the community of distilling theology. Uh, But yeah, the Patreon guys is out of control and you're not going to want to miss those live streams so um you know be sure to smash that subscribe button leave us a five-star review on itunes if you enjoy this content so that other people can discover us as well and friends whatever you do whether you eat or drink do all to the glory of god solely deo gloria